Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, have you ever heard the phrase, what goes around comes around? You probably have. I don't think it's in the Bible. But uh, I have learned through the years that sometimes there's a lot of truth in that. I, uh, I've also told you from time to time, I, try to, I take God seriously, but I try not to take myself too seriously. So with those two things in mind, uh, I'm just going to get the elephant out of, you know, that's in the room out there. Uh, I have a tooth that sometimes chips, and I have it built up. You know, and so you can't tell that I have a real chipped tooth. And so it just so happened on a Sunday morning about an hour ago, I was eating a snack. Sometimes about mid-morning, I need a snack. So I was eating some almonds, and all of a sudden, I got this big old chipped tooth again right there. So just be aware that I can't, I just, you know, I thought, well, just don't say anything about it, but I, 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 I just need to get it out there, you know, just roll with it. And uh, it just serves me right because I, I have been given one of our church members lost a tooth and she's been doing this to me and so I've been messing with her, giving her a hard time and then, you know, look what happened to me and I've been, I've been teasing my, 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 my mother-in-law big time, you know, just over and over and she's having a ball down here watching me with this big gap in my head, so... So anyway, there we go. We got that out there, so if, if you're visiting today... You know, I, I don't normally have this, but, but I'm, I'll, I'll work on it tomorrow and <laughs> figure it all out because I just, I can't help but smile. My mom smiled and I, I, so anyway, there it is. That has nothing to do with the Bible or the sermon or anything, but always remember, take God seriously, but let's don't take ourselves too seriously because for some of us, stuff just happens. You know, it just follows us around. I happen to be one of those people. So with all that in mind. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. And most of you are aware of that movie. It's been out for a while, back in 1972, Integration Happened. It's about a, a ball team, a football team, and integration, and how they had to kind of start working together. Love that movie. A lot of good things in that movie. A lot of clips. You can Google and see clips, and you can probably see this particular clip. Rev was the quarterback. And it was a Friday night, and they'd been doing they'd been doing pretty good. But Rev, because he would often uh, share verses or sing hymns, he was known as Rev. He got injured, so it was time to go to somebody that was on the bench. His name was Ronnie Bass. They called him Sunshine. He's from California. Had long blonde hair. And so Ronnie Bass, even though he threw left-handed and he ran fast he was, and he had a strong arm, he just was a little hesitant about stepping in there because he couldn't make the pitch. So the coach came to him. He said, he said, Coach, Coach, he said, Ronnie Bass, Ronnie Bass. He comes over there. He said, he said Coach, Coach, I can't, I can't make the pitch. I can't make the pitch. He said, Ronnie Bass, listen to me. Look at me right here. He said, I'm the youngest of about 10 or 12 kids, siblings, and my mom and dad died in the same month. And he said, they all were looking at me. And I was the youngest. He said, I wasn't ready either. But you got to do what you got to do. He said, your team needs you. 
you got to jump out there, be the leader of the team, be the quarterback, and you probably know the rest of the story. He stepped out there, and they won the game. He did good. Everybody was cheering Ronnie Bass, and after the game, he, he handed the ball to old Rev, and it was just a, it's just a great scene. He got off the bench, and he got in the game because it was time for him to do that. And I want to tell you folks today, chip tooth and all, some of you in the room, some of you on Facebook, some of you listening to radio, you need to get in the game. Now, I'm not talking about football. I'm not talking about baseball. I'm not talking about bass. I'm talking about God's game, kingdom living, God's people doing what God has called us to do. We're here with a mission and a purpose, every one of us. We have a role. And that's where we are in our study of Ephesians chapter 4. Last week, it was talking about the people of God and how important it is to be unified, to have a strong foundation. And so this week, we pick up with verse 7. And it's talking about why it is so important with a unified body of Christ to recognize what Christ has really done for us. Just pause and be reminded. This is what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then because of the power of the resurrection, he has empowered you and me if we're on the team. Now, I, I, this, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers. This is for us that have come in a relationship with Christ. There may be somebody in the room or listens not on the team yet. But let me tell you something. It's God's desire that everyone be saved and be on the team. You admit your sin that you'll never be good enough to get to heaven. You repent. You put your faith in Jesus alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you say through faith in this night of yourself is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Get on the team today. The greatest decision you can make is salvation. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You may have come to church. You may have been baptized. You may be here every week in Sunday school. But it may be you've never genuinely joined the team. Put your faith in Christ. That's the most important decision we will ever, ever make in life you got to get on the team. But some of us have to understand that he's empowered us by being on the team because we have a faith relationship with Christ. And therefore, we need to bring glory and honor to him. And we're going to find out that's exactly where we are in Ephesians. We need to get in the game because some are on the sidelines. And every one of us have a part to play. So here's what, it's, here's what it says in verse 7. But to each of us, one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, as you're following those verses, you may think, now, I don't see how those two connect. I understand. We're going to try to make sense of it as we walk through this in your outline. Verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers gave them to equip, verse 12, his people, the body of Christ, for works of service. So that, why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge and the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullest of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love... We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is of Christ, from whom the whole body joined and together and every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we see that we've been reminded of what Christ has done for us. By leaving glory and coming here, living a perfect life, dying on the cross so that we might have abundant life and eternal life. We see that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available supernaturally through you and through me, through spiritual gifts. And we see that as we understand those two points, there's an intertwining of spiritual maturity that can occur with you and me as we're fellowshipping together and we're serving together and we're singing together and we're celebrating, rejoicing together and we're weeping together. There's something inside of us that continues to grow and mature. We never arrive this side of heaven. My daddy used to tell me how, if you ever meet somebody that thinks they know everybody, that, that they know everything, they don't even know the questions. In other words, they're clueless. And he was saying to me, don't you ever think you know everything. And as a Christian, I would remind all of us, we never arrive This book is alive and it's sharp and we continue to learn and grow. And we can read a passage of scripture that we've read many times. And all of a sudden something will jump off the page and jump into our hearts. And it can especially happen sometimes when we're celebrating or when we're weeping. More than likely when we're going through a difficult time. God has a way of speaking to our heart. So as we look at this text and we think about getting in the game or staying in the game. Because the enemy would love to take some of us down, any of us down. And he can do it like that if we're not careful. We're not to be scared, but we're to be alert. So this is for all of us, the body of Christ. Let's unpack it. First of all, get in the game means this. Why we need to stay in the game or get in the game. Number one, God especially came down for you and for me. That's what those first several verses when it says ascending, descending. What does all that mean? He especially came down for you and for me. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John MacArthur put it this way. God treated Jesus on the cross as as if he lived your life so he could treat you as if you lived his. That's it in a nutshell. 
Paul uses here in the passage an interpretive rendering of Psalm 68, 18. When you look at the first text, first verses of the text, he's going back to the Old Testament. It's called cross-referencing. And so he's going back to that as a parenthetical analogy to show how Christ received the right to bestow the spiritual gifts. And he goes back to Psalm 68 because it was a victory hymn composed by David to celebrate God's conquest. Thank you, Kelly. I'm noticing I've got the going on with my teeth. I'm trying to hang in there. All right. It's just weird. I got to get used to it. All right, so Psalm 68 is a victory hymn composed by David to celebrate God's conquest of the Jebusite city. Hang in here with me now to understand this, of Jerusalem and the triumphant ascent of God to the city of David, which is called Mount Zion. After such, the king, talking about the Old Testament, would bring home the spoils and the prisoners. So the apostle Paul depicts here Christ returning from his battle on earth back into the glory of a heavenly city with the trophies of his great victory at Calvary. Took many captives and through his crucifixion and resurrection, Christ conquered Satan and death and in triumph returned to God those who were once sinners and prisoners of Satan. Furthermore, his ascension occurs in Acts 1 verse 9. So what is all about that all about? That is about going back to an Old Testament analogy, an old hymn of David, Mount Zion, and bringing back the spoils and realizing what Christ has done. He defeated Satan. Death is over with. Oh, death, where is thy sting? There's a victory to celebrate on what the cross means to us as believers. As I think about the Haven Cross and what God is doing through all that and what I see him doing in different lives and encouraging people, I have thought about different songs that deal with the cross. One such song that I've Sung several times. I tried to sing to my wife and mother-in-law the other day, and they shut me down. So I won't sing it to you because it didn't seem to go well. But here's what it's at the cross. You know that song? At the cross, at the cross, where I can't help but sing it. Where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Oh, man, received our sight. Now I'm happy all the day at the cross, thinking about what it means for us as believers and what he has done. The Haven Cross should make us happy. Signing the base of the cross or being around the cross will not get you to heaven. But it will give you a taste of heaven if you're going there. 
because you recognize what Christ has done for you and for me. Listen, I wear this ring. I don't worship this ring. I wear this. It is a symbol because of the love of my life and my wife of 40 plus years, the one that just brought me water. I don't love this ring. I love my wife. The symbol of the cross reminds us of an everlasting love of God that goes on and on and on forever. He left heaven to come here and live a perfect life and down a cross and rose three days later for you and for me. And that is something to celebrate. And we should always be grateful for that. Now, there may be times that people don't understand what's going on with the cross. But here's what I would tell you. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, In this world you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So there may be naysayers, but we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. And it might be some people don't quite understand or get it, but they may come around. It may be that they are lost and they don't get it. But regardless, we can't get in the mud pit with them. We must be careful in the way we respond. Whether it's verbally or on Facebook or whatever it might be. I had somebody I saw in the gym say, man, I think I'd have taken a mulligan. Now, I don't, if you, if you play golf, you know what that means. It's like an extra shot. You don't really get it, but you take it, take an extra shot. Anyway, I didn't really know what they were talking about. <clears throat> and they had read some of the negative comments, I guess, on Facebook about the Haven Cross. And he said, I think I'd have taken a mulligan. And finally it hit me. He was saying, I think I'd have just given a pass and maybe responded in a harsh way or a mean way. And I, I said, I, and, I, I, and, and I did it. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? You want to say, bless your heart. Or you don't get it. Or can we talk? Yeah, but, oh, I say, Lord, help me. Help me don't do this. Help me don't do this. Or help me don't. So just understand, don't get too bent out of shape. And I'm speaking to myself too because of any kind of naysayers. Okay. Our hope and our prayer is that when people go to a place where they can reflect on what Christ has done because they want, they're in a a, a difficult place, a difficult time during the day, or they want to celebrate what he's done, that they'll have the opportunity, whether they ever darken the doors of this church or not. It might be they go to another church. It might be through that experience. Somehow, some way, they come to know the Lord personally. How could we not celebrate that? So as we think about this message, this speaks to us about where we are right now, too, in celebrating what Christ has done. God especially came down 
for you and for me. I am happy all the day. Number two, God specifically equips you and me. The Jesus of grace freely gives. Grace is a single word definition of the gospel. And he gives grace gifts. It's the good news of salvation to his people. He, that means he distributes the spoils throughout his kingdom. After his ascension came all the spiritual gifts empowered by the Spirit who was then sent. The source of power behind all spiritual gifts is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His power to overcome sin and death is at work in every believer. It's displayed through the gift or gifts given to us as believers. Remember, that's what Jesus told his disciples on the night he was crucified. This is what he said. He basically said, hey, guys, if I'm not a sinner, the Holy Spirit won't come. And you want him to reside, to infill you, to be put as a seal in your heart the moment of salvation. He said it this way in John 16, 7. He said, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he resides in the heart of a believer, when we put our faith and trust in him, he gives us spiritual gifts. Now, what is a spiritual gift? Here's a definition I like. The supernatural. We're not talking about a personality here. We're not talking about abilities here. We're talking about spiritual gifts. There's a difference. It is. A supernatural ability Christ gives to his believers that enables them to perform functions in the church with effectiveness and skill. Now, I love how Chuck Swindoll breaks this down in four different ways about knowing a basic understanding of spiritual gifts. Let me give them to you real quick. Here they are. We're still on number two for a little while. Every believer has at least one gift but almost always more than one. Ephesians 4.12, 1 Peter 4.11. Number two, he says, spiritual gifts are given when we're saved and are used to fulfill God's calling for us. Ephesians 4.12, 1 Peter 4.11. When I give you those verses, those are references. Number three, the gifts are varied and fill different roles. Some are more visible than others, but all are equally important. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 25. Don't miss that. For example, you take something like Night to Shine that we had, or Hungry Men. There may be some that sing or speak or make announcements. They're more visible. But there's some that are helping make it happen by cooking the meal, by making sure that at night to shine, people are taken care of that normally keep those that have special needs day in and day not and day out and help them have a blessed time. Let me tell you something. All spiritual gifts are important. Some are more visible. So the ones that are visible, we might think, oh, man, I just, no. God in his sovereignty decides who gets the gift of mercy, exhortation, service, and so forth. 
It is up to God, and we should never want somebody else's gift. We should celebrate how he's made us and find out what it is and use it to build up the church and bring glory to God alone. And then the last thing, all the gifts derive their power from the same source, the triune God, and they give glory to the one who so lavishly bestows them, 1 Peter 4, 11. Somebody gave me this after being here for several months, and I keep it on my desk in my office. It says, remember the crayon story. And this fits so well with what we're talking about here. Here's what it says. Some crayons, it's talking about the crayon in a box. Some crayons are sharp, some dull, some broken, some pretty. Some have weird names and have different colors, but they all have to live in the same box. That's the church. That's the church. And we're to be unified and working together. Now, the spiritual gifts listed in the text. I want to go through those real quick before we go through number three. Now, other spiritual gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. But here we find the apostle. And the first two was for a season. The apostle, meaning in this context, this passage, was one sent. Here he's speaking of the one who had seen Christ, literally seen Christ, and given authority in the founding of the church. They were needed then to get the church started. Today you may say, well, they have an apostle-like bent, maybe a church planter-type person. But the apostle in this sense was the one that had seen Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and were helping being sent out all over the world to unchurched places, people didn't know about Christ, many places like that to start churches. That's that sense of of an apostle. Then the prophet is mentioned. This was a gift. Their message came directly from the Holy Spirit's revelation. We now have the scriptures. So this specific meaning of prophetic role is no longer needed. And if somebody claims that they are a prophet, be leery. Not in this way. That was for a season. The context of scripture has been closed. Now, some may say kind of like apostleship. You have that apostle-like bent to go start churches. You might say, well, he's kind of, uh, he's kind of a pro- prophetic, meaning he's, he's, right, he's black and white. And those that are like that, we should be very careful. Black and white. This is your, be real strong. Like we need to be real careful about that. But as far as the biblical sense of a prophet, no longer needed. Now, The next two are and were an evangelist, traveling ministers like missionaries today. Like we've got a mission trip in a few weeks to Vegas. They are used to share the gospel and they have an ability to draw the net on a large scale. Back in the day when they are sent to non-Christian regions, they needed to hear the gospel in this manner of communicating. You say, well, help think Billy Graham. Think Ken Freeman who was with Tebow this past weekend, by the way, at an event. Evangelist type of people. And then the other one that he he mentions is a pastor slash teacher, a gift given to one who is to shepherd the flock and communicate the Bible. Think, for me, Jim Futrell, who most of us know in our area that used to be the executive director of the Mississippi Baptist Convention. He is clearly a great example of someone who does both. 
He doesn't do it all. He can't do it all. But he's a people person. He's a shepherd's heart. And he communicates God, God's word in a way that people can understand. Now, in it, when it talks about equipping of the saints in the text, I heard this over and over in seminary. We're responsible as vocational ministries to equip the saints for ministry. doesn't mean you don't do ministry, but you equip the saints for ministry. You equip the saints for ministry. You equip the saints. We kept hearing it over and over and over. And that's in the text. And what, what does all that mean? Guys, they were saying, you must be willing to delegate You are one person. You're responsible for enlisting, training, and unleashing the laity, meaning putting a thing into the condition in which it ought to be. In the Old Testament, Moses was trying to do it all. And his father-in-law, Jethro, came to him and said, Ah, what you're doing is not really good. you got to get more people involved. That's why in the church, it's so important for all the people to understand their gift so all the people can help build the body of Christ. One explained it this way as far as the role of vocational ministry. I like the way he used this analogy when he was talking about ministers. They equip the rest of us so that we can serve in Christ's name too. Otherwise... The church would begin to look like a football game. 50,000 onlookers in the stands, desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 people on the field, desperately in need of rest. And when we combine our strengths, we can accomplish the task at hand. This building up helps us accomplish showing love to fellow Christians and exercising our spiritual gifts and reaching out to our community, meeting people's physical and emotional needs and sharing Christ's saving love. Team, together, everyone accomplishes more. You saw that with Night to Shine. You saw that with the funeral here several months ago when three caskets were here. You see that in other ministries that we have, that uh, we have to be reminded it's a group effort, and it's because a team of people that aren't perfect but have a relationship with Christ, exercising their gifts, celebrating who God is, and maturing in the midst. And that's the third thing. God dramatically matures you and me. We get in the game, and that helps us grow and mature in our faith. Where we're using our gifts, we're being built up, we're having the opportunity to mature in our faith. We don't want people merely doing jobs. We want people to know him. Maturing comes when we're connected to one another. How do we know if we're being built up? Mature minds, stability, truthful tongues, and cooperation. Growth is a process, and it takes a lot of patience as a church begins to grow and look forward to the future celebrating the past. I like this analogy. The California redwood trees grow to be massive in size and ancient in age. The secret to their stability and longevity is their roots are intertwined. When fierce winds blow, their connectedness allows them to borrow from one another and stand strong. So it is with the body of Christ. When we speak truth in love, when we use our gifts to build up and give glory to God, when we recognize what Christ has done so we might have life, when we realize how special the church of Jesus Christ is, when we can impact our community, state, and world, and we can do all of this right from our location. We should never sell ourselves short because where we're located, comparing ourselves to some major city like Orlando or Chicago or New York or whatever, all that's fine. 
God needs missionaries, churches, and people everywhere. But for whatever reason, the sovereignty of God, he has planted East Haven Baptist Church right here. This is his church, and we're to do everything that we can to be in the game. Let's go back to that before I pray. Now, it's a spiritual evaluation for all of us. The things we need to think about as we think about what God's telling us through this letter to the church at Ephesus. Are we in the game? Are we on the team? We can be. Today's the day of salvation. What role are we playing? Are we in the right seat? Are we still on the sideline? And maybe, 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 maybe been on the sideline for a while. And it's because of, I don't know, some kind of excuse. You know, you know the first step is sometimes the hardest. But you take that first step. Whatever that may be. It might be making a decision public. It might be singing for the first time in corporate worship. It may be coming here and kneeling, talking to God. It may be talking to one of our deacons or our leaders and say, you know what? I've kind of been on the sideline, and I I need your help to know how to get in the game. I need your help. Or you come talk to a minister in the invitation and say, I I need your help. Listen, folks, East Haven is God's church. And it is my sense he's doing some special things right now. Because of him and his grace, this is the time to get in the game, whatever that means for you. Dear God, this is your invitation. This is your church. I thank you for your grace. I pray your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's respond to God's invitation.